Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, we go easy on the phone calls tonight. I'm meaning it's easier to get through. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Scott Johnson, who's running for chairman of the Republican Party, will join me here in a little while. And I also tonight want to do a deep dive on some data with you guys. Uh, stick around. You're going to encounter this conversation this weekend. I guarantee it. You'll be the most knowledgeable person uh, on your block uh, with this data dive. We'll get to it. But we have other news I need to bring you up to speed with first. Uh, the Jim Beck situation with the uh, insurance commissioner continues to evolve. I have been told by reliable sources we may see another indictment or two come out of this situation. Uh, there is some thinking out there that it would have not actually been possible for the head of the Georgia Underwriters Association to skim, allegedly, $2 million dollars. Uh, out of the organization without someone else knowing. Um, this is a, a, a cautionary tale here. I'm also told we'll probably expect to see some of Beck's friends uh, becoming witnesses against him in this case if it goes forward. Likewise, I'm also being told several members of the legislature are starting to mutter about impeachment of the insurance commissioner. And the reason is fairly straightforward. Under the Georgia Constitution, anyone who is any statewide elected official or member of the legislature who is suspended either by the governor or self-suspended, as Becky is saying, basically, go on and suspend me, they continue to draw their salary. So even though Jim Beck cannot serve as insurance commissioner, he still gets his state benefits and $120,000 a year. Now, uh, Beck is telling people apparently he needs the health benefits. He doesn't want to resign um, because of a family situation. He needs the health benefits. And while there is some sympathy to it, a number of these people are rather aggravated that I've talked to because the situation was clearly in play prior to the election. A uh, grand jury was involved at that time. An investigation was on the way. Documents were being requested. And of those who have been who have discussed the issue behind the scenes, they seem to think there is real substance to the to the charges. Uh, you've got to remember as well, one of the dynamics here that we haven't spent too much time on is B.J. Pack, who is the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. He was in the state legislature. He's highly respected among Democrats and Republicans alike. He chose not to run again in his district after 2016. He was replaced by Buzz Brockway, who ultimately ran for Secretary of State uh, thereafter. Um, and B.J. Pack is, is really well-respected. He's considered a very thorough prosecutor. People remember him from back in the day when he prosecuted people for trying to steal Coke secrets and sell them to Pepsi. He People remember these sorts of things. So when B.J. Pack indicts the sitting insurance commissioner of the state of Georgia for allegedly embezzling and money laundering $2 million, they tend to sit up and take notice that this isn't a frivolous charge. There, there tends to be something there. The other problem we have now is that the deputy insurance commissioner it was, my understanding, is Jim Beck's legal counsel when he was at the Georgia Underwriters Association. So you've also got legislators who say this is unacceptable. This person cannot serve. The governor needs to find someone else in the job. Uh, honestly, you know, I think Josh McCoon is now over at the insurance commissioner's office. He would probably be a perfect person 
to fill the job. Highly responsible, uh, ethical, good conservative guy. That makes sense. Now, while all of this is playing out with Jim Beck, there's the other issue Republicans are going to have to deal with in Savannah. That is the David Ralston situation. Uh, David Ralston's supporters are, well, I'm, I'm being told that there's been a delay in the resolutions committee. The rules committee and all, they're taking their time, they're dragging their feet. A lot of people don't want big fights coming out of this convention. They want to show a unified front, but a lot of activists want a resolution ousting David Ralston. And Ralston's supporters at the convention are saying you can't support Alstein Ralston if you're not going to support Alstein Beck, which is somewhat hilarious because one of the only officials in the state of Georgia to not yet call for Beck's ouster is... David Ralston. So this is all at play as they head to San San Francisco. The next story I want to talk about is San Francisco as they head to Savannah. Uh, We'll get to that and we'll get to some of the dynamics. And the story out of San Francisco is mind-blowing. Now, um, so the interplay in these two stories is very interesting that the Speaker of the House's supporters are saying you can't support a resolution ousting him who did nothing illegal. When you're not going to support ousting Beck, who did, who is alleged to have done something illegal. So I've talked to a number of people who are going to be at the convention, and they're all of the mind that, yeah, we need to get rid of both of them. You got to remember, Republicans are playing defense as we head into 2020 here in the state because they now hang on to the state legislature by slim majorities. They weren't expecting those, at least activists weren't expecting those losses. People in the know were expecting some of those losses, though not all of those losses. So you got issues there. Uh, You're going to have to deal with those issues as a party and as a result of dealing with those issues as a party going to have to come up with some way to address them my personal opinion is that they should support resolutions uh calling for the resignations of both individuals deal with them now i mean you you do understand that the other party is going to turn the if the republicans can't take care of themselves if they can't clear up their own house the Democrats are going to encourage voters to do it for them. You have an odd situation here in, with Jim Beck in that he was just elected to a four-year term. And he can hang on until he's been found guilty. And he's got an argument that he has not been found guilty. He's innocent until proven guilty. But that's a that's a legal argument in a criminal setting. It's not a political argument in a political setting. And the political argument in the political setting is you're going to be an albatross around our neck. We, you're, you're, we're going to be on defense because of you. So we'll see where the Republicans go with this in Georgia. Now, there's a story outside of Georgia that also needs to get some attention today. And I'm kind of surprised it's not. You know, all of the angst and animosity in the media these days about um uh, about the um the president and the press and the hostility to the press and the war on the press and the incitement of the press and and the authoritarian nature of the president in how he deals with the press the mayor of san francisco is turning a blind eye to police in san francisco today The police in San Francisco overnight kicked in the front door of a reporter's home and seized uh, hardware and uh, documents trying to find the source of a story to the San Francisco Chronicle. San Francisco Chronicle reporting a big story uh, about uh, corruption and other matters in San Francisco. The police kicking in the front door, taking all these documents and hardware, trying to find the source. The mayor okay with it. And the media that has so emotionally invested in Donald Trump's a threat to the press and the freedom of the press, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You haven't heard about the story today, have you? This story hasn't really been in the media today, has it? 
Can you imagine if it was a Republican mayor or Republican governor doing this? It's kind of like the story about Ajit Pai. Ajit Pai is the FCC chairman. Uh, he, a man threatened to kill Ajit Pai and his family. His name is Makara Mann. He's been sentenced to 20 months in prison for threats to the FEC commission chairman over Ajit Pai's opposition to net neutrality legislation and regulations. Can you imagine if this was a Democrat, if, if Ajit Pai were a Democrat, it would get far more media attention. The media has sympathies in these stories, and they're always with the left. That's why they're badly misreporting so much on, on the abortion legislation. If it was a Republican mayor who authorized the police to kick in the front door of a reporter's home, this would be a national story. But because it's a progressive mayor in San Francisco, it's not. Ajit Pai is a Republican chairman of the FCC. If he was a Democratic chairman of the FCC and a conservative was being sentenced to 20 months in jail for threatening to kill him and his family, this would be a national story. So much of what you hear in the media is now shaped by these partisan narratives, and it's very unfortunate. And that's what I'm here for, to let you in on the news you're not hearing anywhere else and to correct the record when you do hear the news that's so badly misreported. The phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, can we spend a minute on, on logic? Because there are a lot of illogical things being said out there. And, and I, I, I say on this program all the time that progressivism is the logic of the insane asylum. We have had for years now a feminist belief that men and women are equal that argument that men and women are equal before the law which is true has morphed into men and women are equal in every way and the men and women are equal in every way has moved to gender doesn't matter it's a social construct men can become women and women can become men and that argument has now morphed into men can become women, women can become men, and men can get pregnant. In fact, there was a progressive social commentator the other day who said on Twitter, and I'm not making this up, y'all, actually said on Twitter that um, men need to shut up about all this because men can't get pregnant. And someone responded, a conservative responded jokingly and said, this is very transphobic and you should apologize to the trans community. And the woman actually, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean my trans friends, trans men can get pregnant. And I'm very sorry if I offended anyone. I'm not making that up. Well, isn't it interesting how the logic is more from we're equal before the law, which is true, to we're completely equal to we're so equal that gender doesn't matter, it's a social construct, to men can become women, women can become men, to men can get pregnant too, but now shut up you men, you can't have an opinion on abortion, you shut up, you shut up, only women can have an opinion on abortion, all those men in Alabama and Georgia, shame on them. It's just, it's, it's fascinating how it, it's an argument of convenience. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it is liberal logic 101. Um, yes, men and women are equal before the law, but they aren't equal. Uh, there is a gender-neutral clothing store for kids that has opened in Atlanta. It's gotten uh, attention from the AJC and elsewhere. I, I'm still, I, I have, you know, women's bodies and men's bodies are different. I guess when you're just picking out clothes for kids, um, they're not that different. But you, you start getting into the teenage years and, and 
you have different sizes and shapes and, and things and, and women and men are different. And my God, it's so much easier to find clothes if you're a man. Uh, I just, I know my waist size and the length. I don't need to know all the other, all the other data points. Um, but I'm just, this whole gender neutral craze, listen, my, my kid doesn't want to wear pink and ruffles and all that. Um, and I don't care what your kid wears, but to, to try to claim that there are no differences, my goodness, spend a little time with a boy or a girl and, and you can see there are some inherent issues there between them. Now, when we come back, we got to get into this Georgia GOP race. Scott Johnson's going to call in. He's running for the chairman of the state party. Uh, we got the Republican convention in Savannah this weekend. I intended to broadcast from there, but um, it was it was awkward to try to broadcast from the facility, which is what I wanted to do, uh, given the setup there. Uh, not We couldn't guarantee that we would be able to actually get the show on air, so decided to stay put here in Atlanta. Um, but one of the people who was traveling down there, Scott Johnson, uh, former chairman of the Cobb County GOP, uh, endorsed by Jeff Duncan, lieutenant governor. He is joining me on the phone from Savannah. How are you? Good afternoon, Eric. Doing great. We're here on the shores of Savannah River with uh, Republicans from every corner of the state, and uh, people are excited to be here. They're milling around, talking, and uh, seeing, uh, uh, shopping through uh, Republican and uh, political uh, stuff and clothing. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and you're all super excited, I'm sure, to be woken up at four o'clock in the morning by the foghorns on the ships coming up the river. <laughs> <laughs> The very first yeah. time I ever went to Savannah, I stayed at the, the Westin, right near where the convention center, and that happened yeah. to me. I shot out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. It scared the mess out of me. <laughs> well, well, we are uh, we're excited to be here, and it's a beautiful day in Savannah, and we're here you know, to, to choose our, our leadership for the party uh, the next two years, but mainly to uh, decide that uh, how we're going to elect, re-elect President Donald Trump re-elect uh senator david purdue and uh, hold our uh hold our georgia keep georgia red in 2020. well i want to ask you about that um and so how do you see the lay of the land for the gop because you know i think john watson has done a good job of stabilizing the party but they're just um, it, it seemed to be ground game issues and, and financial issues within the party. And, and just kind of wanted you to be able to lay out your vision for uh, what you would do with the party. Well, for the last two years, uh, we have made great progress on uh, on on stabilizing the finances uh, of the party, uh, you know, paying off uh, debt that, that you know, unfortunately existed and 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 really getting in a place where we know that uh, that the the dollars given by uh, folks who who want to contribute to campaigns and contribute to keeping Georgia red are spent for uh, spent for that purpose and uh, not for some settlement issue yeah and and, and obviously we, we've got to do a better job on the ground game so we have uh, we're going to use data to uh, to better than ever before and voter registration to to identify voters and to vote to register voters, especially in the sixth and seventh district and uh, on the north side of Atlanta, and we and we want to we're going to prioritize uh, outreach to to women and minorities and and younger people, so we know that uh, that we, look this this Trump economy and this Trump Kemp economy in Georgia 
is moving fast. Jobs are uh, are plentiful. You know, if you want a job in Georgia, you've got one right now. We wanted to make sure that uh, that we keep this kind of leadership for our for our nation, and that plays to every kind of voter, no matter who, no matter whom you are, or or what genre of. Uh, uh, that you may consider yourself. Now, I want to ask you, you're, you're from Cobb. You were the former right. chairman of Cobb, and you mentioned the 6th and 7th District. Demographically in the state, a, we do have some trend line issues there, but it also seems like if you look at 2018, uh, Republicans turned out at off your election levels, Democrats at presidential levels, and we got to find a way to not just bring in new voters, but also make sure we mobilize our existing voters. And uh, how do you see those demographic trends in Cobb and Gwinnett and the like shaping up? for us well we, we we've got to do a better job of of identifying voters who are republicans and making sure we get them to the polls for early voting and election day and that includes eric following up on absentee ballots so we know that we can identify folks who are likely republican voters and who have who, who are, are voting absentees so we can follow up and make sure those absentee ballots get, get ballots get returned yeah, the absentee balloting is, is going to be one of those. Well, well look, I, I know there are a number of people who are stuck in traffic trying to get to Savannah uh, to make the vote tomorrow. And it'll just last question is, is make your pitch to the voters who are headed to the convention. Why you? Well, thank you. I, Eric, I'm a business executive, not a politician. I'm a business executive, typical of the, the, of the kind of person that is our uh, state leader. But I've also had 25 years in the in the grassroots in, in the Georgia GOP. Um, I've been a uh, precinct chair, I've been a county chair, I've been a district chair, but uh, long ago, I like to say long ago, I got started stacking up chairs. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I'm the kind of person that, uh, I'm an outsider. I'm not the insider politician candidate here. I'm the outsider who, uh, like uh, Donald Trump, uh, can, uh, can bring my business experience to bear plus my political experience to, uh, to lead the Georgia Republican Party uh, to a great future. Our best days are ahead of us. We believe it, and we'll keep Georgia red in 2020. All right, Scott Johnson, listen, good luck to you down there. I know you got a lot of people, a lot of supporters there in, in the metro area, and it's going to be a race. I appreciate you stopping by. And I also want to tell you, um, I have said repeatedly over the last several weeks that I was happy for any of the people who are running for chairman to come on. Um, Scott Johnson reached out and asked, uh, was happy to have him come on. Um, and I think he would be a fine chairman. I am friends with David Shaver. Uh, I've known David Safer since he was the executive director of the state party. I was a chairman of the College Republicans, one of being state chairman of the College Republicans. And so I'd, I would vote for David just because I've known him. He's a friend. Uh, Scott Johnson, though, would be awesome. And we're very blessed to have these two guys uh, running for chair. Uh, there's a third person, Bruce Acevedo. And there are some people who say... They think that Johnson and Schaefer could split the metro area. Acevedo has been focused on the more rural counties outside the metro area. He's got a lot of consolidation in that area that this could help him, this fight. Um, it's kind of gone because Schaefer was on the board of the Georgia Underwriters Association when Beck was there. This has kind of gotten nasty at the last minute. I, I think most people expect Schaefer to win, um, but uh, Johnson's giving him a run for his money now, and, and he's got good uh, credibility and background by being the former chairman of the Cobb GOP and was happy to have him on. Uh, he and he, They would all make good chairmen. So question is, what are their game plans going to be for once they get elected, uh, getting the GOP up to snuff? I think inarguably in 2018, the KIPP campaign 
was left holding the bag, uh, trying to get itself out. John Watson's job was more to stabilize the party, and uh, that played a role in what happened in 2018. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I am going to go to the phones here. Charlie's been waiting patiently on the phone. Charlie, welcome. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I, just, I got a couple issues. I know you are I know you have a law degree, and I'm a, a master ethics trainer, actually, for the federal government. So these district attorneys that are refusing to enforce the law is a major ethics violation. Yeah, I think they should be, and I, I don't know why the I don't know what the bar association is doing about it. Um, I mean, somebody should be doing something about it because, you know, and I'm, I'm also a veteran, which I take very personal because I mean, I showed up for four wars with a rifle in my hand, and I didn't want to be there and didn't want to do the things I wanted to do, but I had to uphold the Constitution. Well, That's you know, Charlie, you raise an issue here, and thank you very much for your service as well. You raise an issue. Look at the Obama administration deciding not to uh, argue or defend in court the Defense Against Marriage Act, and now the president, Donald Trump, is saying, well, I'm going to use this president, and I'm not going to defend Obamacare in court. A federal judge in Texas uh, said Obamacare is unconstitutional, and now that it's headed to an appellate court, uh, the president said, you know what, we're, we're fine with this. We're not going to defend it anymore. We think the federal judge got it right. And progressives are livid with this. The same will happen in the state. You've got the, the district attorney in Fulton County saying, I'm not going to prosecute um, abortion clinics for continuing to perform abortions after six weeks in Georgia. Well, wait till you get district attorneys who say, you know what, I'm going to not prosecute people who violated gun crimes in Georgia, carried their gun openly without a permit, things like that. Uh, that's going to happen if we go down this road, both sides deciding what laws they want to enforce. And well, that's where we'll get. When we come back, data dive. You're going to need to hear it. It's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. Welcome. The phone number, 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk, glad to have you with me. Uh, we've got the Republican Party is meeting in Savannah this weekend to choose their next chairman. Uh, and one of the people who is running for chairman is, is uh, Bruce Acevedo. And Bruce joins me now from Savannah. Welcome. Yes, sir. How you doing? Doing well. So you got kind of a, a captured audience here with people stuck in their cars this afternoon. What, what, Bruce, what's your yeah. vision for the Republican Party? Wow. The vision is is, is to uh, recapture the, the two-thirds majority that we lost because I'm really afraid. That's the real reason that I was running is, is in 2018, we you know, when we lost the two-thirds majority and, and we lost, you know, 11 House seats, two Senate seats, and that sixth congressional seat. Now we got an open seventh congressional seat, and then we had a runoff with two different runoffs. So I said, that kind of scared me. I was actually the ninth congressional district chair under uh, Doug Collins. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually the only candidate was actually uh, in leadership at the time when all this was going on. And, uh, and I decided I've just got to step up. We, we just did not have the training programs going. And I honestly don't think that uh, we can we can actually pull this off in 2020. 
without uh, some type of election readiness. Uh, I call election readiness because everybody else has been calling it uh, grassroots for too long, and that, that word doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. But we're not election ready. We don't have our precincts trained. They're not ready. The Democrats are doing a fantastic job on the ground, and we're not, we're not there. I think we've gotten too comfortable over all these years, and it's time for us to have a promulgated plan from the state party down to the district chairs all the way down to where it really counts is down to precincts. Precincts need to create those committees. They need to be monitoring um, who's coming in, who's leaving, which Democrats uh, or which independents uh, you know, are out there, which Republicans have not been voting. We need to establish a new voter um, um, program. We need to um, be scrubbing the absentee ballots. There's just a tremendous amount of things that we haven't been doing really well. There well, you know, Bruce, if I can stop you here, I was uh, actively involved in, in my county party for a number of years and served as a lawyer and a parliamentarian for the party and, and whatnot. And it, these are things we all used to do. And it just seems that as we've gotten comfortable in being in the majority, we've stopped doing these things. Oh, yeah. You know how bad it's gotten that we've stopped? That right now, I mean, when John Padgett was the chair, we had 12 unorganized counties. Um, we got about four more or, uh, organized, and we brought it down, um, you know, to the beginning of John Watson's year, down to eight. We are now at 34 unorganized counties from, say, south of the 10th district. There's two in the south, all the way down to the south. I mean, District 2 has, has got about 14 of them out of their 24 unorganized. So we have lost. Yeah, it's terrible. And so we need to get back to communicating, have a promulgated plan that's measurable. And, and we have to do those first. We, and then we have to get those reorganized. And once we get those reorganized, we have to identify the 11 that we lost and two senators. And we need to help them in their precincts and get some training going on down there. There's a lot of work to do. There is. Bruce, I, I got to tell you, it's nice to be able to come back into a conversation like this and not have to ask you what your four-point transportation plan is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like all go. the other statewide guys. Well, look, I, you, you got an, an audience here right now, and I, I know there are three of you running for state party chairman. What do you think sets you apart? Oh, the, the one that really sets me apart is is that I am currently – I just gave up in, in April the, the 9th Congressional District. I'm on the Rules Committee. I've been on the Executive Committee the last uh, eight years. i am actually been in the game, and I was very frustrated with the last couple of years because we lost all these seats, and then we got redistricting coming. And the other two candidates are real nice guys. They're friends of mine, but they've been out of the game for a long time or they've been in the political game. So i am actually been in it, and, and I understand what the problem is. And in ninth congressional district, we did really good. We we elected all of our all of our candidates. We don't have unorganized over there. We had like two hundred sixteen thousand Trump voters in two thousand sixteen. We're going into redistricting. We're going into national convention. I was electoral college elector for the one of the sixteen for Trump and, and Pence. I've been the last two as national delegates. Um, I mean, I'm in the game. I'm already in the game. So there's nothing for me to learn. I already know what a lot of the problems are and the problems are we have not got a promulgated plan that was communicated to our grassroots or our electors down at the precinct and the county level and there's no checking how are we doing what do we need to help we have so many different demographic problems from the sixth to seventh down to um, south georgia those are all different it's not one size fits all we absolutely have no diversity program whatsoever that needs we must reestablish the diversity program and every area of our county. 
I mean, we have no training going on except in the ninth district. So we have to establish a uh, Georgia State Party training opportunities program for the individuals, the candidates, you know, and all the counties. The right. district chairs are not even trained. You know, they wow. go in, they get elected, and they try to do the best they can, but we have no formalized training that's sustainable from one chair to another. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by. Um, good luck to you this weekend. And it's it's actually n- nice to hear somebody talking about the nuts and bolts because I think that gets lost in all the conversations. It does. <laughs> yes, sir. It does. Well, thank you. thank you very much. Good luck to you this weekend down there in Savannah. Bruce Acevedo running for chair of the Republican Party in Georgia. Um, honestly, I, I, I was not expecting to have him spend that much in the, the nuts and bolts of this, but it echoes a lot of what I've been telling you guys for the last couple of years of how you're supposed to organize down to the precinct level and work your way up. And it is noticeable here in Georgia that that doesn't happen anymore. Now, I want to shift to a data dive because I've gotten this question from a lot of people. And there's a story you haven't been hearing, and I know more and more that... People who don't hear stories, uh, they don't say, hmm, I'm not hearing the story. And the story is the polling on these abortion laws. We're not, do you really believe if the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or any of the news, TV news outlets in this state had polling that showed Republicans are going to get wiped out next year because of this fetal heartbeat legislation? Do you really think that would not be the headline on a daily basis for about a week or in Missouri or Alabama or now Louisiana, where the Democratic governor is going to sign a pro-life fetal heartbeat law? Yes, the Democratic governor in Louisiana is going to sign it. The New York Times has a story out today, and it turns out that uh, surprising to the New York Times, a lot of voters, this pro-life message from the Republicans is resonating with them. In fact, Democrats are on defense, according to the New York Times. Democrats are on defense, according to the New York Times, on abortion. Why? Because the Republican message that Democrats are in favor of infanticide, which is true even though you Democrats deny it, it's resonating with voters. Listen, it, it doesn't help Democrats that you've got Ralph Northam, the Democratic governor of Virginia, talking about how women can give birth to a child, let the child be made comfortable, and then decide what to do about the child in terms of letting it live or die. doesn't help. It doesn't help that in Vermont, New York, and New Mexico, Democrats have considered legislation and in most of those states passed legislation that allows a child to be killed while passing through the birth canal at delivery. That doesn't help the cause. And there are a bunch of people who are running around screaming about this, but this weekend, you're probably, if, if you talk politics with friends, you go to the local coffee shop on the weekend, you go to the barber, you go to church on Sunday, you're talking about these laws, and, and what, what is this? Why are Republicans doing this? Well, this is a reaction. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The Democrats acted to make infanticide legal. Republicans are reacting to have sanctuary states for babies. Instead of sanctuary cities, we're going to have sanctuary states, and it's going to be for babies. That's what's happening right now. And here's the thing that you need to point out. Where's the polling? There is no polling out there that shows Republicans are going to lose in these states. In fact, the polling suggests at least a 50-50 split in support for the legislation in these states. But just, I mean, ask yourself, ask your friends who are racist, oh my gosh, the Republicans are going to get wiped out. The Republicans are going to deserve doom and gloom. Do you really think the newspapers and TV outlets in this nation, in this state, would not be running wall-to-wall coverage of polling 
giddy and excited by the polling that Republicans were going to be wiped out if it existed. It doesn't exist. And you should take note of the fact that it doesn't exist. To the phones we go. Uh, Travis in Fayetteville, welcome. Hi, how you doing, Eric? Good, how are you? Hey, doing well. appreciate you taking my call. Um, listen, the reason I called, it, I've been thinking about this prosecutor refusing to do the job of prosecuting abortion providers who violate the new abortion law. And I just wonder how the left would feel if it went the other way. I mean, let's say a bunch of uh, pro-life activists with carry permits decided to show up and blockade the entrance to an abortion clinic while displaying firearms. Exactly. Um, and then the, you know, the Republican prosecutor there said they weren't going to do anything about it. What would happen? Exactly. Yes. Uh, Travis, that is an excellent point. And we're going to see stuff like that happen. Now, in truth, there are only, I think, two or three abortion providers in the state. So we're not talking about very many. But yeah, I, I could totally see that happening. That's what happens when the rule of law breaks down. When a prosecutor decides the law is clear, but I'm not going to enforce the law, bad things start to happen. If the Fulton County DA says, I'm not going to enforce the law against um, this abortion clinic, then wait until you see the pro-gun prosecutors refuse to enforce gun laws. Uh, this ends badly for people. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. If I were at the state convention, I would be casting my vote for my friend David Schaefer, um, former candidate for lieutenant governor, a member of the state senate, and the former executive director of the Republican Party as it was making big gains in the state. David is joining me here on the phone now. David, welcome. It's great to be with you, Eric. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure, and and thanks for doing this on on the spur of the moment. Everybody wanted to get in today, and I want to make sure you, you had an opportunity to do so as well. Um, David, if you wouldn't mind with, with the audience, a lot of people headed to Savannah now, stuck in their car listening. Um, tell people what your vision for the Republican Party in Georgia is. Well, I was privileged to serve in the state Senate for 16 years and, and fought for the conservative values of our party uh, every one of those years, and my time there has come to an end. I've got an incredible amount of, uh, uh, of bandwidth that I used to spend on legislative issues that I want to put to good use, and I, and I think that I can be uh, best used as the chairman of our uh, Republican Party, which I believe, Eric, is in, is in trouble. We're on the defensive for the first time in a decade and a half. The, the statewide margins are much more narrow than they should be. We're losing seats in the suburbs, and we've got to, I think, completely retool the grassroots of the uh, infrastructure of the party and um, and step up our game if we're going to reelect the president and and David Perdue and and uh, and regain the momentum in in the uh, in the general assembly. Well, you know, you you I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it does seem to me that uh, the party in 2018 kind of left a lot of things to candidates, and, and that was understandable given the financial situation and, and John Watson having to rebuild uh, parts of the party that had collapsed under prior leadership, and it just seems like we need a party now to step up and we're going to have to rebuild from, from rubble. Right. I mean, the, 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 the last administration was focused on trying to solve some financial problems, and money-raising 
is important. Money's, money is an essential ingredient, um, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And we've got to have a robust uh, uh, grassroots infrastructure, and we've got to have a, a, a well-thought-out uh, plan to turn out voters. If you look what happened in the suburbs of Atlanta where we lost Karen Handel's uh, uh, congressional seat and almost lost uh, Rob Woodall, um, the Democrats had a presidential-level turnout in the suburbs. Uh, uh, Stacey Abrams got more votes in the suburbs of Atlanta than, than Hillary Clinton got two years earlier. And the Republicans, al- although they did well, they didn't, they didn't achieve the same sort of presidential-level turnout that the Democrats did. And some of that was a mechanical failure. And uh, I think we've got to retool our uh, voter turnout operations and do a, a, a much better job of identifying and turning out uh, Republican uh, voters. Well, David, last question for you then, um, and not really a question. You've got this audience here, and what sets you apart from the other candidates running, and why should they vote for you? I think I've got the right mix of skills uh, for the challenges that we face uh, now, having been the former executive director of the of the Georgia Republican Party when it was primarily a grassroots organization, having been a a fundraiser and a grassroots activist and a, a candidate and an elected official. I think I've got the right mix of skills. But I'll, I'll close out with this. Eric, you know, as a student of history, Georgia was the very last state in the union to elect a Republican governor. And one of the reasons it was so difficult for us to do that is that the old Democratic Party was basically a center-right party. Sam Nunn and Zell Miller and and uh, George Busby and Joe Frank Harris, this Democratic Party that's trying to replace us, is a radical left party, not a, and and it, it, every Republican needs to pull together and 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 work hard to beat back this very real threat. Well, David, listen, I appreciate it, and best of luck to you. If I were a delegate, you would have my vote, and I know you got a lot of people there supporting you. So, good luck this weekend. Well, thanks so very much. I appreciate you. Absolutely, David Schaefer running for party chairman. All three of them. Uh, we're, we're really fortunate to have three good people running for chairman. Can't go wrong with any of them. David's a longtime friend, happy to support him. Uh, let me go on and, and take a time out so I can have time for phone calls when we come back. Folks, you need to get your kid equipped. That's an electric toothbrush. You need to get yourself one as well. So the new Kids Quip that's just come out, it's got the same two-minute timer and guided pulses as the original version. Uh, not any childish gimmicks. You're not going to find characters on it. You're not going to find this this massive grip handle and a huge brush head that keeps your kids from getting the toothbrush to the back of their mouth. It's going to be like the adult sizing. You know, people, more and more studies show that uh, one of the great ways to get kids adapted to doing something is to get them things like you use. You use Equip, get your kid Equip. You use a grown-up toothbrush, get your child a child-sized version of a grown-up toothbrush to get them to participate in brushing their teeth. They need to learn good dental hygiene, and you need to have good dental hygiene. And Equip makes it easy. It vibrates uh, greatly for two minutes to get your teeth clean. Every 30 seconds it pulses, so you get an even brushing. The Quip starts at only 25 bucks. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now, you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free. So you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Erickson. Go get your Quip today. Now, we had someone holding uh, who could not stay on the line who wanted to ask me a question near and dear to my heart. Who's going to die? on Game of Thrones this weekend. I I think that uh, Daenerys has to die 
I think she does. And I don't think that Jon Snow gets the throne. If I had to guess, I think he he wanders up north. Uh, maybe he becomes the new Night King. I don't know. But I just think she's got to die. She can't actually get on the throne after committing genocide last week. A lot of people still angry about this. I'm sorry, but... Yes, I, I certainly think that HBO kind of uh, screwed themselves by deciding to do only six episodes. They could have had a 10-episode season. They would have had to spend the money on it. They got cheap. They didn't want to do it. It sounds like the writers, they're ready to be gone and moved on. I still like the show, but I'm just fascinated by the number of people who think that the thing to do now is just to complain about the show as opposed to, I don't know, watching and enjoying the show. they become too emotionally invested. Don't get emotionally invested in TV shows, people. I'm shocked by the number of people who get emotionally invested in this sort of stuff. It's just a TV show. I'm sorry your favorite character turned out to be a genocidal maniac, but maybe you should have figured that out in the very first season when she decided to let her husband pour molten gold over her brother's head. I just, it, the whole thing is silly to me. It is, and I don't mean to be dismissive of those of you who are super upset, but you know what? You deserve to be dismissive of because you've seen this coming for seven seasons. Yes, it's true. Maybe they should have had a few more episodes to let you know it was coming because you're shocked. But did you not figure it out when she burned another town to the ground and crucified people who lived in the town because she didn't even know they were It's just crazy, people. Just crazy. All right, enough said about that. Last episode on Sunday, and I'll see you on Monday.